throughout the world, the church is beginning to focus and look towards this coming weekend, the two great events of the Christian church and in the life of Jesus, the cross and the resurrection. Uh, this morning I want to speak on the subject, famous last words, and we're going to look at some of the most famous of all the words that were spoken uh, at the end of the life of Jesus when he was dying on the cross. Just to refer to some other words that somebody has spoken, Cardinal Cesare Borgia, he lived in uh, the 16th century, and he said, in the course of my life I've made provision for everything but death, and now I must die totally unprepared. That's so much like humanity. We live our lives, and all of us know that there's one certainty. We're going to die. So one uncertainty is that we don't know when we're going to die, and we just live our lives as if we don't, are not going to die, and then suddenly death appears, and it's there. King Philip III of France called out, what will I say to God? How I had wished that I had lived my life differently. Karl Marx, <laughs> the great communist leader, shouted to his housekeeper his last words. Go on, get it out. The last words are for fools who haven't said enough. <laughs> These are unbelievers who shout out their last words. But the last words of great believers, John Wesley, the great revivalist and the leader of a huge movement around the world, said, the best of all is, God is with us. Yeah. God will never lift his spirit from a child of God. Augustine, Lord, shall I die? Shall I die? Yes, Lord. Why not now? <laughs> uh, such confidence, eh? Uh, he's going to go into eternity. George Whitfield, great revivalist from the 1700s. His final words were, Lord Jesus, I'm weary in thy work, but not of thy work. So we're going to look at the last words of Jesus and just see the incredible uh, power that these words have. When we just look at it at a superficial level, uh, this uh, great leader of the Christian faith, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, they, they just seem so superficial, but boy, they are jam-packed with deep and profound thought, theology, and doctrine. Jam-packed. So, here are some of these words. There are three from the uh, book of Luke, three from the book of John, one from the book of Matthew. Mark also records that. In actual fact, Mark was the first gospel that was written. Matthew and Luke copied a lot of what was in uh, Mark. So these are the words. Father, forgive them. Today you will be with me in paradise. Dear woman, here is your son. When he said woman, it's not like a woman, like we say to our wives sometimes. But this is woman, this is a, a, a statement of deep respect, ma'am. Like the Southern Americans say to their moms and so to their dads. Something that is 
totally, totally unheard of in South Africa. <laughs> and then after three o'clock um, in the afternoon, darkness fell on the land. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am thirsty. It is finished. And into your hands, lastly, into your hands I commit my spirit. Seven incredible last words. So I'm going to choose three. Two years ago I preached on the same subject. I chose different ones, but today I want to choose uh, three. And I want to choose forgiveness, thirst, and finished. Those three words. So let's look at the first one in Luke 23, verse 33 and 34. This is what it says. Finally, they came to the place called the skull. All three were crucified there. Jesus on the center cross and the two criminals on either side. Jesus said, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Really, forgiveness. One of the incredible doctrines thoughts, areas that Jesus focused on, forgiveness, because he knew what it did for us. So really what he's saying here is you need to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Have you had anybody that's trying to ruin your life? <laughs> I think all of us, somewhere along the way, put our hands up on that one. You see, the New Testament writers didn't want to exploit. The crucifixion was the most horrific of all deaths. In actual fact, a few centuries later, Constantine banned it from being done. And it was, it was a horrific, it was a torturous, torturous death. But they, they don't go into great, great detail to describe the crucifixion and what Jesus and the thieves had to go through. I mean, it was just sheer barbarism in its method. And we've kind of glamorized that. And some of us might even be wearing crosses around our necks. But, but the, the, the New Testament writers don't go into great detail about the physical agony that, that went. But Jesus is experiencing this thing at that moment, and, and the first words that come out of his mouth are, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, if we could think of anything, we could think immediately of the injustice that's taking place and the supreme ignorance of these people that are putting this Lord, the Savior of the world, to death. Jesus is not saying here, Lord, I, I pray that you understand them. He's saying, please forgive them. Please forgive them. And he, in actual fact, that is, that is a declaration that comes out at that moment that really supports everything else that he said in his ministry. You remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44? Do we have that? You have, not, uh, you have heard that it's been said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But now I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may become the sons of your Father in heaven. Now I'm telling you, love. And when we forgive, we love people. 
So Jesus says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The prayer is for the soldiers. The prayer is for the crowd that are jeering. The prayer is for Pilate that's condemned him. The prayer is for the Jewish rulers that have come against him. And he prays for us too. Because all of us, somewhere along our lives, and all of those out there have mocked the deity of Christ, mocked his death, and who is this Jesus? And we, in a sense, need to be forgiven as well. This Galilean freedom fighter, who, is he think, who does he think he is? But we hear the words of Jesus saying, Forgive them, Lord. We've dismissed, we've rejected, we've scorned, but he's still saying, Forgive, Lord. In the Old Testament, it was the law of revenge. Samson was the epitome of that. Samson let his guard down. They cut his hair. He had no strength because his, his strength came from his hair. And with his eyes now gouged out, he prays. Prays for the Philistines. But he says, Lord, I pray for these Philistines that you may avenge avenge and he prays for their total destruction good old principle eye for an eye tooth for a tooth a life for a life the law of revenge but jesus introduces a new strategy here forgive you see the law of revenge results in nothing but a whole lot of blind people and a whole lot of toothless people. But the law of love introduces forgiveness. And Jesus is dying on the cross. He's crucified because of hatred. While they were doing the very worst to him, he responds and does the very best for us and says, Father, forgive. And as he says that, these words, spiritually powerful words, words that come from eternity and go into eternity, these words of forgiveness explode in three different directions. They explode to those that are witnessing this. They explode back into the past. They explode into the future. They explode back into the past because it has the potential to forgive all the sins of humans who have lived in ages prior to the crucifixion. Remember in the, in the Apostles' Creed, one of the great things, and there are passages, Jesus descended into hell. He went to preach to those who hadn't heard the good news. And it descends, or it projects straight into the future as well. And into the future for those who will one day commit their lives to the Lord and respond to him. You see, there's only one requirement to his forgiveness, and that requirement is a, must, a person must admit his faults, and come to him in forgiveness and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. When Jesus cried out, Father, forgive, I think the devil himself, the demons themselves, began to get bound because it is the first chilling signal of their miserable defeat. Mercy started. Mercy continued to flow 
down into hell and wrestled the keys from the devil himself. And Jesus was able to cry out triumphantly in the book of Revelation in chapter 1 and verse 18, I am he who lives. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. The enemy cannot function in the presence of forgiveness. Forgiveness comes and puts its handcuffs on hell itself. There is enormous power in forgiveness. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. And we've been forgiven for those of us who have responded. However, let me take that to the next level. There is a need for us to exercise that forgiveness towards others too. We need to follow that example. See, one of the most defining experiences or definite experiences that we have is that we will be hurt somewhere along our lives. We'll be hurt physically, we'll be hurt psychologically, emotionally, we'll be hurt spiritually. We will get hurt. What are you going to do with that? We've hurt others. We've let down people. We haven't met their expectations. I mean, the ministry, leadership position in church, it's a minefield. I want to just tell you, you've said things that have hurt. You've not said things that have hurt. You've done things that have hurt. And you've not done things that have hurt. I mean, it's a minefield, you know. Somewhere along the way, boom, we're... There it goes. We're going to get hurt. We're going to hurt somebody else. And so the requirement here is to exercise forgiveness and mercy, to live in that place of forgiveness and mercy. You know, when we live there, the devil can't touch us. He can't touch us. Because at that point, we're open to all of God's blessings and open to all of God's mercy. You remember the Lord's Prayer? You got, you, we, we, we managed to get to that point. It was, it was the temptation point that we, 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 we skipped out on. <laughs> huh? But we got through that petition in the Lord's Prayer that deals with the only conditional petition in the Lord's Prayer. I would have loved it if Jesus had said, Father, forgive us our trespasses, full stop. But it didn't. It went on. And Jesus says, as, as, as we forgive, Really what I'm asking, what I'm praying here is, Lord, I want your forgiveness as much as I'm prepared to give it. That's, that's a very, very serious petition. Only condition. Others don't have the condition. The six petitions, but that one has a condition. But when we live in a place of forgiveness and we live in a place of mercy, then the devil can't touch us. 
Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 17. The merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. If you want to be miserable in life, be merciless. Be merciless. If you want to be happy, be merciful. C.S. Lewis says, everyone believes forgiveness is a great idea until they have somebody to forgive. Listen to the words of Paul. He lists the characteristics of a godless society. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed. Okay, now he's going to start listing the sins. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder. Oh, those are big ones. Fighting, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud and boastful. They are forever inventing <laughs> new ways of sinning and are disobedient to their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless and unforgiving. He gets to a crescendo. Some translations say unmerciful. They've listed murderers, but I think instead of like running out of ideas of sin, Paul is actually getting to a crescendo here, and at the end he says unforgiving or unmerciful. Out of all the sins, that one is the worst. See, Jesus told that parable in Matthew 18 about the king and the unforgiving servant. I'm just going to mention that. The essence of that, if you want justice, you can have justice. You can go ahead with it, but if you want mercy, it's mercy all the way. You can't have a little bit of mercy and a little bit of justice. It's either justice or mercy. And I mean, you know, our lives are just full of stuff every single day. You go to work in the, in, in a, on a Monday morning, and you, you know what my husband said to me. You know what my uncle said to me the other day. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's like... Justice. How dare they say that stuff? I had this experience. A taxi cut me off. How, how dare? And all that we're wanting is justice. But I'm going to say to you, let's just automatically go into mercy. You will get blindsided in life. You'll be carrying along. Everything will be great. You'll be prophesying over people. Hunky-dory. God is good. You'll be telling of the wonderful revelation that God has given to you about this person, then it, boom! That woke up all the babies in the prayer. <laughs> and you get blindsided. What are you going to do then? Justice. Step into mercy. Step into unforgiveness. A great Christian repeated the words of Jesus 
A little while later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, we see this Stephen, first Christian martyr. He challenges the Jewish leaders. And how dare you challenge the Jewish leaders? Take him. Saul, who became Paul, is there. All his cloaks, all their cloaks, are gathered at the feet of Paul, Saul. And he's watching. And they throw stones on Stephen. Big rocks. That must have been a pretty gruesome thing to watch. I've seen some beatings, but that probably would be as bad as almost a crucifixion. A rock falls on his head, splits his head open, falls on his ribs, crushes his ribs. And he kneels there. The Bible says he had the face of an angel. <laughs> and he prays the prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. You know, those words were so powerful that here was Saul, this mighty Pharisee, the guy that was young, that was filled with passion and venom towards the Christian church. His heart was instantly changed because he announced those words, Father, forgive, and became the greatest Christian, the greatest missionary, the greatest theological writer that the world has ever known. Because Stephen uttered those words, Father, forgive. Father, forgive. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. It says, God delights in mercy. God delights in showing mercy. Sure. You want justice? I'm sure that you can think of something, a situation right now, right this very moment of one, two, maybe ten. I want to say to you, step into mercy and forgiveness. Don't go down that road. The shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23, verse 5 says, He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. There's the enemy wanting to steal your sausage, wanting to steal your sausage roll and your chicken pie. He wants to come and take off the table that God has blessed us with. I mean, all those wonderful things. Uh, what is the focus on? The focus is on he is preparing a table. Yeah, it's in the presence of the enemies. Next verse. Tell me what the next verse is. Surely, goodness and shall follow me all the days of my life. Hmm. Guys, step into mercy and forgiveness. The second scripture, I thirst, in John chapter 19 and verse 28. Jesus knew that everything was now finished and fulfilled and to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. You see, there are two views to this particular verse. I am thirsty. The view is he had a physical need. And 
he wanted something to drink so that his next words, it is finished, could be heard, could be thundered through the rest of history because those were powerful words and I'll get to that just now. And, 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 and he just wanted something physical so that he wouldn't choke, that he wouldn't stammer, that he wouldn't mutter. He needed to have a voice that shouted out, it is finished. But you see, all of us have a bad day every now and again. And here Jesus possibly was just admitting his need. Do you ever admit your need? Do you ever humble yourself enough to actually say, Lord, just, just help me here? I think that we need to walk through this Christian life just with a sense of humility and vulnerability and say, sometimes we need something, guys. And Jesus here was saying, I, I need to drink something. It's not to pamper him. And we see possibly a little bit of weakness in the humanity of Jesus. I love telling the story of uh, Mark chapter 3, where Jesus is met by a man who has a withered hand. And he, he, he says, Lord, bless me. And Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. I find that a fascinating statement. Jesus doesn't say, stretch forth your withered hand. So he's got a strong hand, and he's got a withered hand. And Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. What is he going to stretch forth? Is he going to stretch forth his strong hand? Because I think if he did stretch forth his strong hand, he would have walked away with a withered hand still. But he stretched forth his weakness, his brokenness, his withered hand, and Jesus healed him. And Jesus here is expressing a need and saying, Guys, I need. And we need to learn to be humble enough to ask for help every now and again. Sometimes our worst decisions come from when we just, I think this, and we haven't checked it out. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 11 and verse 14. Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but through a multitude of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 15 and verse 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but in a multitude of counselors, they are established. It's a biblical and spiritual thing for counselors and fellow believers to help you find your way. But the other aspect, other than the humanity of Jesus saying, I thirst, I want to introduce to you a word, atonement, at one mint, but I want to take the M-E-N-T and take it out and replace it with a preposition, with, at, one, with. When Jesus said, and I'll explain it now, when Jesus said, I thirst, uh, atonement came into the world. In John 17 and verse 21, Jesus is praying in the garden, and he said that, Lord, that all, that they all may be one with you as you, Father, are one in me, and I in you. And that they also may, listen to this, be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, Jesus is saying here, may they be one. Atonement, oneness, because he's going to cancel out sin now, he is praying for oneness. How do we get that doctrine from the word, 
I thirst. I don't think that it was necessarily a physical cup that he was asking for here. It was a spiritual cup. In Luke 22 and 42, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Remember Jesus prayed that in the garden. And then in John 18 and verse 11, Jesus is in the garden. He's they're coming to arrest him. Peter kind of stands in the way, draws his sword out, cuts the chief priest's ear off. Jesus immediately heals that. And he says to Peter, put that sword back into your sheath. Shall I not drink? He says here, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? The cup of suffering which my father has given me. If it be your will, let this cup pass. Shall I not drink of the cup of suffering? So here Jesus is saying, on the cross, I thirst right now. Father, right now, I'm ready to accept this cup of suffering and the cup of the sin of the world on me. Powerful. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. It's not a physical thing, but it's a spiritual thing. And this, I thirst, was the most incredible thing. I am ready to accept the sins of the world right now, Lord. And he takes the sin offering upon himself. And what a blessing to us. He's not saying... I don't think I thirst, but I thirst for that cup right now. I've waited my whole life for this, and I'm ready for it, Lord. And then the last one is, in John 19 and verse 30, it is finished. He had received the wine, presenting the sins, representing the sins of the people, and he says, this is a great declaration it is finished. It's not a cry of defeat. He is totally in control of the situation and he's willingly submitted himself to be tortured and to, be su to, to suffer. He had a purpose. And this declaration, it is finished. He wasn't giving up hope. He wasn't declaring that his life was over. But he says, it is finished and he, 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 this is a call for a firm assurance that the sovereign one is totally in charge. It is finished. He's not saying, I am finished, I'm ending my life, but it's saying, it is finished. You see, the word, it is finished, is the word in Greek, tetla, tetla restai. It means paid in full. It's like you've served your prison sentence and they've come to get you and they say you are released. You have been paid in full. You ever get that account and you've got that big red thing doo -doo, paid in full. It's a wonderful thing if you've been paying off for a number of years. You, you, you've paid it in full. And Jesus here is saying it is finished. You've been, it's been paid in full. There's no other way to be forgiven. There's no other way that God could have brought the sins of the world upon Jesus and taken it out of, of, of our lives. 
There's no other way. If there was another way, he would have found another way. He would have issued another way. But there's not. There's not two ways. This is the only way that Jesus took away the sins of the world. And he says, it is finished. All my life, all that I've given, everything is now finished. You know, when the devil comes to us and he starts saying to us, yeah, look at you, you miserable creature, you keep on sinning, and, and, he, and he laughs at us, we can laugh back at him. And we can say to him, you know, I've read the end of the book, and I know where you go, and I know where I go. And that's because of what Jesus did on the cross and his words, it is finished. What is finished? The long plan of redeeming man was finished. The message of God to man is finished. The works done by Jesus is finished. The task of selecting and training the ambassadors is finished. His job is finished. His blood poured out is finished. The sacrifice that Jesus made is finished. The sting of death has been removed. It's over. It's not a cry of defeat. It's not a cry of despair. It's a cry of completion. It's a cry of victory. It's a cry of fulfillment. It is finished. 